Ephesians 1.4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you here for your eternality. God, everything else in this universe had a beginning, but not you. You are the God of ages. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are independent. You do not need us. You need absolutely nothing and no one. You are self-sufficient. You are perfect in yourself. And yet, Lord, you created us and you chose us before the foundation of the world so that we could enter in to your fellowship. We could enter in to your joy. Lord, we praise you for your sovereign power. Lord, those whom you choose cannot in the end resist you. You will win us over. You will conquer our hearts. You will bring us to yourself that we might be holy and blameless before you. So we thank you for your sovereignty exercised on our behalf. And we ask God that you would bless us this day with wisdom as we study your word. Help us to see Jesus and become more like him. And we ask all this in his name. Amen. All right, friends, welcome again to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how every page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thanks for joining me. So friends, today is a special day and in some ways an inevitable day. Uh, We are going to try and tackle two themes in one. Yes, I know. So both these are a little bit shorter. That doesn't make them less important, but I think we can do two in one. So let's jump right to it. Let's look at the third theme in the book of Ephesians. Paul breaks out in praise whenever he contemplates God's glory. Now, typically, Paul has a certain format that he follows in his letters. There's an identification. There's typically uh, a thanksgiving section and a prayer. And then we get down to the business of the letter. But in Ephesians, Paul does not begin by thanking God. He begins by praising God. And as you've probably heard this said before, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 are all one sentence in Greek. And maybe you've talked to someone who begins to talk about something they're very passionate about, and you're just looking at them wondering, like, are they going to take a breath sometime soon? And that's how this long flowing sentence, I think it's something like 250 words. That's how this functions. Paul cannot help himself. Once he starts praising God, he just keeps going. Now, one phrase in particular stands out. And I'm going to see if you can pick up on this. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6, 12, and 14. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul is praising God for his glorious nature. Now, glory in the Bible, the word itself means heaviness or weightiness, significance. God is the most glorious because God is the heaviest. He's the most significant, the most important being in the universe. And when Paul begins to think about all of the glorious acts and the glorious nature of God, he just begins to pour out praise. He praises God for his election for his sovereign choosing before the foundation of the earth of who will be in God's kingdom. He praises God for his adoption, how God does not simply forgive us and allow us to to work for him or anything like that. No, God forgives us and brings us into his family. 
He praises God for his act of forgiveness, that God doesn't ignore our sins or sweep it under the rug, but God has found a way to atone for our sins so that he can truly look at us and say that your sins are forgiven. They're wiped clean as far as the East is from the West. He praises God for his revelation. We don't think about this often enough, but friends, God does not have to speak to us. He does not have to reveal himself to us. And yet in his love, he does. He reveals himself to us in his creation. He reveals himself to us in our conscience. He reveals himself to us in his word. And best of all, he reveals himself to us in his son, Jesus. He also praises God, as we talked about last time, for this future reward, this hope that we're looking forward to of not just a strip of land on the Mediterranean coast, like we're going to cram a couple billion people into modern day Israel, but the entire universe being given to Christ and us receiving it alongside of him. So let me just read this. And as I read, understand that though I'll be pausing for commas and for semicolons and periods, Paul does not pause. He just keeps going and going and going. And I want to try and communicate a sense of that passion. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, not dripped out or barely handed out a coin here and there. He lavishes upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul understood that you can't make yourself worship. You can't look inside of yourself and say, okay, Andy, worship. Come on, worship. That's not how it works. Paul understood that the key to worship is focusing on God. Focus on who he is, his holiness, his justice, his wrath, his mercy, his love, his patience, his his eternality as we prayed before. And focusing on what God has done, how in Christ he has made a way for us to be forgiven. And for a heart that's alive, for a heart that has been born again, that will lead to worship. Understand that as Paul writes this, let's not forget something here. He's in prison. He's not writing this, sitting on a beach, looking out over the ocean, thinking about how great things are going and being like, I'm going to write a letter about how amazing God is. He's in a prison. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. And yet wherever Paul is, when he thinks about the Lord, cannot help but burst out in praise. And I would say the same thing to you and to me. The key to authentic worship is to fix your eyes on God and let him bring that worship out of you. Now, that's our third theme. Our fourth theme that we want to look at is Paul celebrated what we possess in Christ. 
Now, for Paul, and I would say for the entire Bible, being a Christian was more than just believing in certain truths about Jesus, like clicking iTunes conditions without really paying attention to them. Being a Christian is about being made one with Jesus. For Paul, and again, just for Paul, the entire Bible, Jesus lives in every Christian, and every Christian is in Christ. Now, that phrase, in Christ, or with Christ, or sometimes united with Christ, it is a massively important phrase for Paul. And in Ephesians alone, it's going to appear 15 times. And there have been entire books written on the theme of union with Christ and its significance and its full meaning. But just think of it this way. For someone to be united to Christ, or for someone to be in Christ, these two terms are synonymous, it means that first off, they have been joined to Christ through faith. So the the glue that attaches a believer to Christ is faith. And once we are united with Christ, once we are in Christ and Christ is in us, then everything that is true of Jesus is now, in God's eyes, true of us. Christ died on the cross, so did we. Christ was buried, so were we. Christ walked out of the grave, so did we. Christ will receive the entire cosmos, so will we. Christ is the beloved of his Father, so are we. All of these things come from being united in Christ. Because we're united to Christ, every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. So understand this, every good thing you have, Christian, be it the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, all of these things, God did not give them to you. God gave them to Christ. And because you are united to Christ, united with Christ, because you are in Christ, all that he has, you now possess. Now, obviously, if we sat here and just started listing all the blessings that come from being united with Christ, we could go on for a very long time. I want to draw your attention to, I believe, the two main blessings that come from Christ that Paul addresses in Ephesians. The first is our destiny in Christ. For Paul, and I think for most of us, knowing your future with certainty was a great blessing. As my wife can testify, I do not like being told that there's a surprise waiting for me unless you tell me what it is. I know what you're thinking. Well, then it's not a surprise anymore. Exactly. Thank you. The thought of just looking out to an unknown future often makes me very unsettled. And Paul wants you to know, Christian, that your future is not unsettled. It is the most settled thing in the universe. I'll go back to Ephesians 1.4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So I can say without any kind of doubt or hesitation that the fate, the destiny of every single follower of Jesus is to stand before God forgiven and beloved and enjoying his joy for all of eternity. That is where you're headed. I do not know where you'll be five minutes from now. I don't know where you'll be five years from now. I can tell you with absolute certainty where you will be five billion years from now and five trillion years from now. Our character is not left to chance. Did you see that? We, that we're going to be holy and blameless before him. God is guiding us toward holiness. He has not simply chosen us for salvation. He has chosen us for salvation, which means sanctification, to make us holy before him. In fact, friends, even the good works that you do were planned before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship. Let me just pause right there. Ephesians 2.10, which 
which means the two verses before this would be Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, the famous, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. And then Paul immediately concludes two verses talking about our salvation by grace through faith and pivots as if it's the most natural thing in the world, because it is, to the works that result from salvation. But look where these works flow from. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So brother and sister, everything that you do, all of the good deeds that you do, God prepared them for you to walk in them, to learn to trust in him, to find your delight in the things that bring him delight. God is the one who makes sure that we become changed people. So if you are like me, and you are often frustrated or discouraged by a struggle with a sin or a struggle in your particular area of life, I'm not telling you to trust that you will one day get it together. I'm telling you to trust that God has promised that he is going to make all things, and that includes you, new one day. Right now, we're living in that already not yet that I mentioned before. Right? right now, not only is the entire universe in sort of an already not yet phase, but you, brother or sister in Christ, you are personally in an already not yet. I don't care if you've been a Christian for six minutes or for 60 years. Right now, in God's eyes, you are holy and blameless before him. Remember, everything that's true of Christ is true of you. So right now, here's what Colossians 1.22 says. For he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So right now, you are holy and blameless in God's eyes. When God looks, he flips open his book and he finds my name in the W's and he looks next to my name. The only thing he sees is blameless, holy, because that's what's true of Christ and that's what's true of me. I am cloaked in the righteousness of Christ. So right now, I am holy and blameless before God but there is a future and final blessing yet to come. Ephesians 5.27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Friends, if you've been in the church for longer than two minutes, you know that right now the church of Jesus Christ, both the visible church and the invisible church, we are not without spot or wrinkle. We are covered in blemishes, but God has promised to one day purify his bride. Romans 8, 28 through 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And we usually stop right there, but look at what verse 29. For those, so here's the reason we can know that. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here's what that means. The father delights in the son above all. And the father said, you know what I would like? I would like to look out at my creation and see a vast multitude of people who don't all exactly look like Jesus. We're not going to all be 30-year-old Palestinian men. But he wanted to look out at a new creation full of people who spiritually are like Jesus. So the plan of redemption, my friends, is not just to keep you out of hell, but it is to get heaven into you. It is to get you to be like Christ. And that is God's goal, and God will not fail. So that is our destiny in Christ, and Paul delights in this. But what about our exalted status in Christ? This is the second blessing that Paul delights in. Ephesians 2, 1 and 4 through 6 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, 
But then verse four says, but God being rich in mercy, because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What belongs to Jesus belongs to us. We are now getting to experience that resurrection life that Jesus walked out of the grave with. We are seated in a place of privilege and honor. As I'm recording this, the uh, Super Bowl 56, which if you're a sports fan, uh, that's the one the Rams won. Super Bowl 56 is five days in the past. At a certain point in the game, uh, they cut to one of the luxury boxes and uh, sitting there was the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell. And next to him was uh, current Seattle Seahawks quarterback, Russell Wilson. And they made the point of, oh, Russell Wilson won the NFL Man of the Year last year. And I made the joke of like, is that the prize you win? You get to sit with Roger Goodell at the Super Bowl? And to some extent, yeah, that actually may be the prize. And while we might think that's not much of a prize, you understand the concept that sitting publicly in this exalted seat next to a very important person is intended to be an honor. Well, in the same way, when Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, we're seated next to him. We are in a position of honor and privilege, not because we are special, because there's not going to be an Andy Wood day in heaven where Jesus takes off his crown and says, hey guys, let's, Andy did a great job. Let's, you know, let's hear it for Andy. No, it's always about Jesus, but we get to sit next to him and enjoy a seat of privilege and honor. We have gone from being an object of wrath to heirs of the universe. And if that's not the ultimate expression of God's grace, I don't know what is And Paul is humbled by this grace. The magnitude of the gift just simply drives deeper into his mind how little he deserves it. Ephesians 3, 7 and 8, Paul says of this gospel, this amazing news, how you too can go from an object of wrath to an heir of the universe, all through the work of Jesus. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unreachable, unsearchable riches of Christ. It's an interesting study, but when you read through Paul's letters in chronological order, you're going to notice that in his earlier letters, Paul refers to himself as an apostle, which he certainly is. In Ephesians, which is probably halfway through his writing career, you see him mention the least of all the saints. And then when you come to the letters to Timothy, what is he? He's the chief of sinners. The more Paul understands the grace of God the more he sees his sin and he is humbled by this knowledge. And he wants you, he wants me, he wanted the Ephesians to be humbled as well. But he wants our humility to lead us to a bold approach towards God. Ephesians 3.12, talking about Christ, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. On our own, us approaching God is a death sentence. But in Christ Because I'm united with Christ and I know that when I approach the throne of grace, Jesus goes up alongside of me. That gives me complete boldness and confidence. And I hope it does you as well. So friends, we'll come back next time, Lord willing, and we'll discuss a few more of the amazing themes in Ephesians. But for now, take up and read. God bless, friends. Mm -hmm.